0: Of the Creepin' and Real Horror Cast. Yee-wee! I'm your host Meg.
1: <laughs> hey, I am the Good Buddy Lunchbox.
0: And you caught us in a good mood.
1: You, we're coming in like butter dripping off a hot biscuit. Tell you what, mhm, get some.
0: And y'all are lucky. Lunchbox put on his Southern pants today.
1: Mm, I always have my Southern pants on. <laughs> it's just weird that when I say that I'm, I'm Southern, I know that I'm. I come from, like, my background is. It is southern. Like, I mean, most of my family lives up in Georgia, but my background is insane. If anybody knows of the story of the Hatfields and the McCoys, I'm a Hatfield.
0: Yeah, most of his family's from West Virginia. (laughs)
1: like, uh, my descendants are the Hatfields.
0: But that also means that his family tree has a few... His short few branches.
1: Well, I mean, you went through, like, your, the genealogy stuff, and it's like, you had, like, some cool, like, some Vikings and Greeks and all that stuff in there, and I was like, I had pig stealers. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's it. Like, I was like, okay. One I, of the most infami- no.
0: infamous yeah. family rivalries in the history of the country, because it started over a pig. Yeah.
1: And, and I'm not joking. I am related to the Hatfields, so... Fun fun on a bun. So, this week, what we got? I mean, you clicked on the button so you know what we got, but go ahead and start spitting on it.
0: Well, this week, before we get into our movie, welcome back, and if you're new, thanks for joining us for the first time. Oh yeah, welcome. join t- Join us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Slasher at It Real. You can email us if you have a movie suggestion or if you'd like to sponsor an episode at creepinitreal.cm at gmail.com. And you can buy our merch at creepingitreal.redbubble.com. It's hot. And there's tank tops. I'm not saying you should go out and buy one. But you should probably go out and buy
1: one. And it's got a sweet design done by me. So, hey, double yeah. win.
0: Yeah, good stuff.
1: Yeah, I forgot that we didn't do any of that before I started just rambling on.
0: That's why I jumped in and right at the boat. Word. I was about to go over.
1: Just, yeah, I mean, that train was just... And you brought it back. Yeah, exactly.
0: So this week was Lunchy's pick. Mm
1: It's a good
0: pick. What'd you pick?
1: We went with Sleepy Hollow. The 1999 Tim Burton jam.
0: Yeah, it was... Yeah, I haven't seen this movie in... I don't know how many years. At least 10, maybe 15. It's been so long. Um, Really, that long? It's been a really long time since I've seen this one. I
1: mean, I... I usually do my 31 days of Halloween. Like, before we started doing the podcast, that was something that I always did every year. And I could have swore there was a couple times where I was watching Sleepy Hollow for that, and you were in the vicinity, or you were just so, just, phone, and just not paying attention. I mean,
0: there's a chance I was reading, or there's a chance I just went to bed. I mean, there's no... Just because it was on doesn't mean I watched it.
1: Yeah, no. But, I mean, I've, I've seen it quite too many times. Yeah,
0: but, I mean, in terms of sitting down and actually paying attention, it's been a really long time. Sleepy Hollow was released on November 19th, 1999. It was made for a budget of approximately $100, mil- $100 million. It ended up grossing $206 million worldwide. It was written by Andrew Kevin Walker and Kevin Yeager. Yes, that Kevin Yeager... As in the guy who designed Chucky and Freddy Krueger makeup, Kevin Yeager.
1: Yep.
0: Yeah. Which is really, really cool. Obviously based on the Washington Irving story of the same name. It was directed by Tim Burton. Also, duh.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and because this was a Tim Burton joint, it starred Johnny Depp as Ichabod Crane. No kidding.
1: I was actually more surprised that Helena Bonham Carter wasn't in this one. They weren't together yet. No, but still, I mean, like, it was... This
0: is pre-their relationship. Was it?
1: Yep. Okay, okay, all right. That's no, but why. still, like, that, she would have fit perfectly with this movie. Agreed.
0: However, she was not because they weren't in a relationship yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Christina Ricci was Katrina. Miranda Richardson as Lady Von Tassel. Michael Gambon as Baltus Van Tassel. Casper Van Dien as the handsome but useless Brom Van Brunt.
1: Cause he's Brom. That's how I see him <laughs> as...
0: Like he yeah, enters to a musical number? Like...
1: If he's not Brom, he's Gaston. Like that's how I see him in this little town. Like,
0: yeah. Little town, it's a quiet village. (laughs) She will be mine. Okay, that's enough. (laughs) Um. And Christopher Walken starred as the Horseman. They were also notably in smaller, more secondary, supportive roles. The icky Jeffrey Jones, Richard Griffiths, Michael Goff, and Christopher Lee.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're missing somebody there. You're missing Palpatine, baby.
0: Oh, yeah. I forgot. You
1: got fucking... Was Ian McDermott? Like, as the doctor. How much more badass can you get? I mean, you got...
0: There were a lot of Star Wars and future Harry Potter actors in this movie. Yeah. A lot more than I remember.
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, when you get Christopher Lee... And and Ian in there,
0: yeah. You have Palpatine and Count Dooku.
1: Like that's so badass.
0: Oh, and Ray Park was the Headless Horseman, so you have Darth Maul too.
1: That's right. Hold oh, you. Yeah. yeah, he like, was the
0: stunt man who wore the blue hood to become uh, the Headless part of the Headless Horseman. Yeah, when Christopher walked off the um, screen.
1: <laughs> and speaking of Darth Maul, going back to uh, Shaun of the Dead, <laughs> Pete is the actual voice of Darth Maul, and then. Our boy is the the stunt double, so... And I think he was also in X-Men, too, as... uh, He was Toad. As Toad, yeah. Yeah.
0: He does a lot more stunt work than actual, recognizable on-screen work, but yeah, Ray Park's been around for a long time. Yeah. So, this movie was stacked in terms of cast, and it was... Based on the Washington Irving story, but it took a lot of liberties yeah. with the Washington Irving I'm, story.
1: I'm actually kind of, I'm glad. Like, for once, I'm actually glad that they they took that route where they didn't do the actual, like, subject material. And that's hard to say for me being a comic fanboy or whatever. and The
0: nerdiest of nerds. Yeah, I
1: mean, it's just like, anytime like, you get those type of stories, like, harry potter or i mean like harry potter tried to stay as true as they could with what they had
0: harry potter was fine it was mostly just a lot of heavy editing
1: yeah but i mean but when you get into like batman territory essentially you have to think of it as its own little universe you can't necessarily tie in what it is especially like for like chris nolan's uh the dark knight rises Mm. he all he did was he just did the bane breaking the bat but then he took the whole liberty of, well, I'm going to make Bane take over the shit, yeah. and do it, do everything. So it's like that was stuff like that. It's nice when it's done well, and I think Tim and his, and the writers did a, a really good yeah, job. bringing Burton, it in.
0: Burton didn't have a hand in writing this one. It was it was Yeager and Walker that that did um, the screenwriting part, which is interesting because I've never known Kevin Yeager to write a story he's always just been more the behind-the-scenes makeup guy. But he pulled double duty. He helped write the screenplay, but he was also the makeup special effects guy on this thing. So he was the one, him and his team were the ones that came up with all of the rigs for the head, the decapitation scenes. And they also repurposed an old, I don't want to call it a hobby horse, but a horse a galloping horse frame that was used a lot in some of the older Western movies from like the fifties and sixties. And because Christopher Walken couldn't ride a horse. So (laughs) what they ended up having to do was dress this galloping horse frame to look like the headless horseman's horse daredevil.
1: (laughs) Could you just imagine Christopher Walken explaining all of that, <laughs> I can't ride a horse.
0: <laughs> well, he did. I, I found. Wow. I, I found on YouTube a thirty-minute making-of documentary that I think was one of the special features on the DVD, and I ended up watching that. I it was. I think it was last night, and he had to. Ex- he was explaining that he had to use the dummy horse because he grew up in New York and there's, when was he going to have access to any horses? (laughs) I know,
1: but but I could just, I watch a lot of like, I am a huge, huge fan of cartoons, obviously because I'm a man child, but uh, as Uh a, as a man, man child, I really appreciate voiceover work. And there is, I mean, you got to find it on YouTube because it's, so hilarious. Unless you've actually been to any of those Comic Cons, but it's the Twisted Tunes. And you can see all of your favorite classic, just cartoon, or the people who bring these cartoon characters to life. And there are so many of them that have a Christopher Walken. Mm-hmm. And they nail it. It's so good. Yeah.
0: No, it's it's really, really good. Ring-a-ding-ding.
1: <laughs> There's a... Um, it's... Um, Oh, God, the guy that does the voice for uh, the new Joker in the Arkham Games. Um,
0: Troy... Troy Baker.
1: Yeah. He has a really good one, but he has an amazing Alan Rickman. It is, oh, wow. He does Alan Rickman and Jeff Goldblum. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. He I takes, think I've
0: seen him do Walk-In. I don't think I've seen him do the other There
1: two. He takes, for the Alan Rickman one, he takes... So much time getting his lines out. He's just, Hello, I would like a cheeseburger. <laughs> and it's just like it's just like he, but he nails everything. And then there's Jeff Goldblum is just him just stuttering and sputtering all over the place. And it's like I love watching that stuff. But like it's more I love watching them uh, do all those voices for uh, Christopher Walken they had a walk-in's
0: a fun one to do though and it's kind of easy to do because he's got such a weird cadence to his voice yeah
1: and but there's one uh there's like one show that the twisted tunes guys did where they had i think five guys that could do a uh, like a walk-in voice and they did a (laughs) walk-off where it was they were and they were reading the script for i think it was lord of the Rings. So they and were
0: everyone did their walk. They were impression? doing
1: every single character at, but in the voice of Christopher Walken. Oh,
0: What a <laughs> it's, mess!
1: It's so good. But like one one thing that was great is that because you, you get that like really upbeat like Christopher Walken voice, and then one of the guys he actually did that really subtle and just the real you know dramatic it's, Christopher Walken it's voice. The soft it's good,
0: Christopher Walken. Now I
1: mentioned all that mess. Because
0: he doesn't talk in this movie, not at
1: all. Nope. <laughs> it would have. I would have, like. It would have killed the entire movie if <laughs> if he did talk. Yep. <laughs> However, Christopher Walken as the headless horseman looked creepy as shit.
0: He did. I just. It's still. Even though I know that that's a thing, and I've known that that's a thing for over twenty years now, it's still a weird casting choice. Yeah.
1: But I can't think of your villain
0: is Christopher Walken. Whoa. But
1: he's got that that sickly look, not a sickly looking face, but he's very skinny and he's just kind of um, he's just got that aged face. And I mean, even like in his younger days, like you could tell, like he's he
0: had a more mature face. Exactly, yeah,
1: yeah m- mature, very, very. Because uh, I love Christopher Walken, so I mean, it's great. But um, but yeah, that's just seeing him in the makeup and just him as the. The horseman, it was very, very weird, but it worked. And you don't get a lot of casting like that too often. Um, I think it's just a real swervy
0: curveball for yeah. that kind of casting. It's so out of nowhere.:
1: I mean, like when you think about like casting, again, back to Tim Burton's uh, films, Batman, Jack Nicholson is the joker. If you would have just heard that name, knowing, like, what he's done in the past, you would have been like, that's not going to work. Like, how are you going to make him look like this? And then I, you know, I had to, like, kick myself in the ass because Heath Ledger. I remember the day when it was announced that Heath Ledger was going to be Joker. My buddy Brock came out onto the balcony of our apartment. I was leaving for work. He's like, yo, Ledger's Joker. And I was pissed because I was like, how is that going to fucking work? The... The heartthrob? He's Joker? Like, what's happening? And then I saw it and I was like, eee! he's now my Joker. Like, he's he's fantastic. So, I mean, that's the thing is, like, try not to do that with the casting too much. But
0: Well, because you've learned those lessons the hard way. Yeah. It, it happened to you with Batfleck, too.
1: Yeah, I know a lot of people shit on on Ben Affleck, and I did for years.
0: I mean, you're um, still not his biggest fan, but.
1: When... I appreciate him a whole lot more now. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, because, I again, my nickname's Lunchbox, so I'm a huge Kevin Smith fan and Rats Chasing Amy and you know, all that. So, I like that Ben Affleck because he's just a, you know, he's that guy.
0: Was it Holden McNeil?
1: Yeah. Yeah, he was just a douche. <laughs> so, but that was the thing was with Ben Affleck as Batman, I did the same thing. I was like, oh my god, this is going to suck. And then we watched it, I was like, shit, like... This doesn't suck. No, I actually enjoy. It. Like I enjoy it personally. If you don't like him, fine. I enjoy him, and I kind yeah, of wish I yeah. But you've
0: him. eaten enough crow at this point to know just to kick back and go with it and decide after you see yeah. the movie if they've I they're mean okay or not.
1: I loved Christian Bale as Batman, but I'm really happy that Batfleck didn't have laryngitis.
0: Mm, indeed. Hey,
1: where where's Rachel?
0: And asthma. He had laryngitis I, I, and asthma.
1: I still love the, the was it the Pete Davidson stuff with the No, it
0: wasn't Pete Davidson. It was <laughs> or Pete Holmes.
1: Pete Holmes. I don't know where I keep getting Davidson from. With but...
0: that stupid face. Hey, yeah.
1: I uh, Swear to me. So good.
0: I like the bit that he did with Patton Oswalt, that one. <laughs> the weather, he penguin. was Yeah. And he's like, What are you doing? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we're supposed to be talking about Sophie <laughs> Hollow. I'm so
1: we're getting no, distracted we because this.
0: some of this stuff is funnier. Um, He's this, just taking a nap. This isn't this isn't an indictment of the movie. This is just because we're kind of tired and punchy and we're going off on a tangent. No. This is nothing. The movie's great. This is not because the movie. There's nothing to talk about. It's just we're idiots.
1: Um, well, I'm an idiot because I just rambled on about voice voiceover actors and Batman. All to
0: make the point that Christopher Walken's casting He's really in the isn't movie. that weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. We got there. It was it was a roundabout way. I took
1: the Google Maps method. just
0: Scenic <laughs> route. But we got there. We did get there. Better late than never, I guess. Yeah, that was really weird casting. At this point, we hadn't even really had that established movie relationship with Tim Burton and Johnny Depp yet. This is the only... I think only the third movie they did end up doing together, because at that point it had just been Edward Scissorhands and Ed Wood, and um, I think Ed Wood was like four or five years before this one came out. So we don't really have Depp yet as a Burton mainstay. After this movie, he did. And what I find interesting is a lot of people point to Pirates of the Caribbean as Johnny Depp's sort of like sellout moment, where he is making like a big budget.
1: <laughs> He's getting Disney money.
0: Yeah, you get the but. I would. I actually, after rewatching this, would point to this movie as. And I hate the term sellout. It's really fucking dumb, but it's really the only thing I have that can kind of contextually give enough people an idea of. Oh, that's what she's talking about. But I would. I dare point to Sleepy Hollow as the movie, that big budget movie, because up until this point, all through the '90s, Johnny Depp was actively avoiding taking on those roles.
1: I. I think. I mean I, I I think it was more of he was just a, are you talking about just he was
0: As an a, actor he was avoiding it because after the 21 big names. he Johnny Depp did not want to do like big budget things um he tried to stick to smaller more serious or more independent movie type things um mostly because 21 Jump Street left such a bad taste in his mouth and he didn't want to be the heartthrob Tiger Beat guy anymore mm. so he was taking on like the really weird weird like off the wall kind of roles um and then but i would point to sleepy hollow as the the time he finally took a turn and went to the big budget dark side because then four years after this he was in um he was in Pirates of the caribbean so uh, he uh yeah i think this was sort of his gateway drug into that big budget world and the thing is though with you can tell exactly where the budget went to and it went to the details much like what tim burton does with all of his other movies the focus is on the world building and getting those details right and getting that look and that feel he he uses a feeling a lot and in that little documentary thing i saw kevin yeager was talking about or no, it wasn't kevin yeager i think it was the composer it was Danny Elfman. Yeah. He was talking about how Burton would come to him to score a film and he doesn't have a melody, he doesn't have anything in mind, he just talks about the feeling he wants it to give him, which is so difficult. When you're, even, as, even creative people sometimes need a little bit of direction, but it's like, I want to feel sad. Okay, so like violins.
1: <laughs> I mean I, like I'm I'm an artist and I've dealt with people like that too where it's like oh it's like you know they want to commission me to do something and I'm like okay what you, what would you like I don't know I like something blue All right? what kind of things do you like blue I don't know surprise me oh great I do something they're like wait I wanted a sculpture what the fuck like no it's just it it's really tough when you get those customers that just don't know what the fu- that, yeah, but I have at, no idea but
0: at this point Elfman and Burton had already worked together so much yeah. that I think that there, that kind of work relationship that's really all that Burton had to do was come in and say I want the piece for this scene to make me feel this specific way and yeah. Danny Elfman goes I got you bro yeah and I mean goes about his business Danny
1: Elfman is uh, I mean it's it's awesome because a lot of those you know the big name movie composers um, you know uh, it's just John Williams. And, yeah, and I mean they all have, scripts, yeah. they all have like that signature sound.
0: Yeah, no, they they all do. Uh, John Williams, Hans Zimmer. Um, I'm trying to think of a few other ones. Uh, Howard Shore. Like they yeah. all have a very. Sp- you can kind of point to that and go, "That's that guy." Yeah.
1: But Danny Elfman, he had like his signature stands out above all of them. He's got. He oh, loves his wh- oboes.
0: <laughs> and he's got a whimsy to his music too that it really evokes a sort of otherworldly fantastical feeling which when you have Tim Burton who is a visual artist as opposed to Danny Elfman as an auditory artist, artist um, and Burton's work is not quite of this world either where Proportions are wrong or colors are off.
1: Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, like in Beetlejuice, there was that the one scene where, um, uh, what, are, I, forget, I always forget their names. Um, they, they go down to the, the underworld and they're supposed to meet Juno. Um, it's huh? the Maitlands. Yeah. The Maitlands are walking down that hall, and the way they have the hall set up, yeah. it's like everything it's like a fun is. House. Yeah, it's completely. Just the visual of it doesn't make sense to your eyes.
0: Yeah, and nothing is square. It's all yeah. off kilter. It kind of looks like a drunk construction worker went. Yeah, that'll do.
1: That looks straight. Yeah. So I mean, like that's the thing is, even even with something like Beetlejuice, it was always just off the wall uh, when it came to certain things. And, and then he, once he got into like with uh, Edward Scissorhands, but you
0: know. it, this is. Even if you didn't know, even if you didn't see the box and saw Tim Burton, didn't see Tim Burton's name on the box anywhere, you could look at this and peg it as a Burton movie because, because of the aesthetic and it's very gray, it's, it's gray washed. Like it's not a black and white movie, but he desaturates all the colors and there's that sort of whimsical gothic, like, I don't know, I can't put my finger on it, but it's like... It's whimsical and gothic at the same time. Yeah. Like you you picture somebody sitting in a rocking chair knitting, listening to the cure. <laughs> That's really the it's quirky and it's dark, but it has like a touch of humor to it too. Yeah. Like it's just such a I, weird um, look.
1: I one movie that always stood out to me that was it didn't it was weird because it fit for Tim Burton's style, but it was not of the norm of his style was Charlie and Ch- chocolate factory and the bright colors. Yeah. Well, I love that they did the whole thing where when Charlie is with his family and their, their house doesn't fit at all in, in London or wherever, you know, and it's like, cause they all, like, all the buildings around are very just square, upright, a lot of apartments. And then they just have this dilapidated house mm-hmm. right on the corner and then when you get into Willy Wonka's factory, it's again big bright colors, but again nothing makes sense, and it, it again it allows Tim to explore that creativity of doing different stuff and
0: Yeah, you know. so the the Sleepy Hollow vibe, um, it actually seems to fit right in the world of. It's supposed to. It mostly takes place in Sleepy Hollow, New York, which is a real place, um, and then it's split with what. 18th century um, New York City would look like but it looks like this either of those towns could sit adjacent to London where the Sweeney Todd version of London Mm -hmm. Um, so it all looks like it all fits in this wonderful little spooky world Um, I really liked that it felt especially the New York City sets felt like you were put in a time machine and dropped right back off in New York in 1799.
1: I always love when they do stuff like that. Like just in any movie where you're not going to be able to get any of that type of structure or vehicles or technology or just wardrobe. And yet they rebuild yep. perfectly to, you know to make it look exactly the way it used to back in the day. Um, I mean, that that stuff I always appreciate from just an artist standpoint. Um, Because,
0: I mean, someone cared enough to at least do the bare minimum of research to make this look right.
1: And the costumes
0: were gorgeous. Yeah,
1: I mean, even the the farmland. And Mm -hmm. when they actually went over to Sleepy Hollow, that stuff, again, looked spot on to just a very farmland area.
0: Yeah, it's very rural. Um, in the In the woods, when you would go in the woods with some of the meetups or where the run-ins with the Headless Horsemen, um, it had a very, for me, it had a very like, yeah, it was still a bit creepy, but it had a, a very slasher vibe to it. Like you almost would feel like hiding behind a tree would be a Jason Voorhees type character or something. Um, it felt like that kind of, Cabin in the Woods, yes. Evil Dead sort of
1: thing. It, it felt definitely more Evil Dead than anything. Just because of just the way the tree... The trees looked like they were living. Mm-hmm. And that was something... Uh, I mean, everything was, was dying and it was just the branches and it just had that spooky ghost story feel to it. But yeah, I mean, there's, this, there's shots where... Um, they're you know running through the woods and the cameras following through you know, with them and it just has that Evil Dead kind yeah. of yeah um,
0: and it, it's flow. A, Sleepy Hollow is one of the few American fairy tales that we have because it's hard to remember sometimes but the United States is not that old compared to other countries that have thousands and thousands of years of folklore um, that you know date back to the beginning of civilization America doesn't have that at least the colonized America that we currently have and this is one of the few fairy tales that came up from our country so to see some of these interpretations is really really cool because I mean every every old country has their version of Cinderella or Rapunzel, or Beauty and the Beast, but those are very European, Eurocentric um, stories. Sleepy Hollow is very American, and and it's and it's a feeling too. Um, I, th- I think they kept. I haven't read the story, and I can't even tell you how long. Yeah,
1: I, I, re- I read the story back when in high school, and that was actually one of my. I actually did a book report on it. It was yeah. it was really fun. But
0: the the Ichabod Crane Rip Van Winkle stories, I think those were piggybacked together. Um those had a much more I wanna say I don't know if violence the right word because a lot of the Eurocentric stories were were violent, but it does have a very American feel to it. I can't put into words why it feels different it just does
1: it's it's definitely a cultural thing but i don't i i feel like when it like for americans even back in the day it there was there was some type of censorship and it was repressive rep, exactly repressive was, yeah, yeah
0: and it was very victorian repressive even though we weren't technically under the crown rule anymore
1: yeah same idea well i mean it's just people just getting used to being able to Unleash stories, but this probably came about with, you know, just telling kids the story and just to spook them and uh, mm-hmm. give them a little bit of a warning. Oh, the, the horseman's gonna be out there. It's probably and,
0: one of those stories you told your kids to keep them out of the yeah. woods.
1: I, uh, one of the stories that my dad and my uncles used to tell us when we were kids, we always had our family reunions up in this beautiful part of Georgia. It's like, um, Right around like the Macon, Georgia area, but it's, it's like, or it's in Douglas, but it's close to Macon, and this place it's just all woods and there's a this nice little area. But I remember we used to always camp out on the grounds uh, for the weekend, and one of the stories he to told us was that there's a lizard man that mm-hmm. that runs around the in the woods because whenever we were kids, we would go there's like a baseball field out at, at this at the location we were at and at the edge of the field you could always find deer bones Mm. it was really cool for me because i'm you know you know creepy nerd like that but that was something where they're like we're like oh where'd the bones come from it's like why are they there like right at the edge of the baseball field and they're like oh it's the lizard man the lizard man comes out there and he eats and he just throws his stuff out and drops the bones. yeah and so we were always freaked out and then they would you know, come and scratch the tents and stuff like that. Uh, so, I always felt like this may have been one of those type of stories, and I would love to see if there's any history on th- that because I would love to know. But that's yeah, how, that's the way it feels. It
0: and I liked that they kept up, kind of trying to maintain that New York was a Dutch territory for a very long time, and they pulled all of the names directly from the book, um, but they tr- still tried to keep up. That sort of very Dutch colony feel as well. Um, one of the things, too, that I really liked was Christina Ricci's costumes were beautiful. She was gorgeous. It, however, it was very strange because I think she was only eighteen when she filmed this movie. Johnny Depp was her love interest, and he was twice her age, so that's not weird or anything, right? No, nah. it's fine. No, they're acting yeah well he, he even there's a comment i saw on imdb that he thought it was really really weird because he's known christina ricci since she was nine so he's like mm, okay i don't know how i feel about this but
1: but sure. i mean they didn't do it they didn't have like a no, whole no, no, no. sex he, scene or anything. no any that, he like so. no she
0: kissed him on the cheek it was a very chaste thing yeah um a very for romance especially but i just thought it was really funny because i was like it's supposed to be love interests. Johnny Depp's
1: like twice her age in this movie. It's really weird. Yeah, so. But that was the thing is they, they did a, a really fun job with making the feel of the movie, for me, spot on. Like, yeah. that is everything that I want. I, I am a huge fan of the. I believe it's the Disney adaptation. Ichabod they, and Mr. Toad. Ichabod and Mr. Toad. I remember watching that. I burned through that tape. The VHS tapes in the before times, like I wore that thing out watching that at my grandmother's house, and I actually uh, had my mom buy me another copy just so I could have it at my house so I could rewatch it. Just because I absolutely love and adore the Headless Horseman story, so I mean it's just really cool. But I love that the the take for it on for Tim Burton's movie. They kept with that same kind of creepiness that I remember from the cartoon um, and then just brought it into, like, a live-action thing. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, they brought that aesthetic out. This was by no means a Disney-fied movie, though. Um, this was a horror movie. It was yeah. heavy on the violence. The blood was, like, Jallo blood, where it was so yeah. bright. Was so this. bright.
1: That... that that stood out to me, too. And I couldn't place my finger on it until... Um, I, like, because we were talking about it before. And it's like, you, you mentioned the Jala thing. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, that's right. Like, yeah. they did, like, that that red paint blood just so it stood off of that, that yeah. gray scale.
0: And it looked like Tim Burton took every chance he could get to squirt Johnny Depp in the face with blood. <laughs> yeah, he did. It happened, like, three different times in the movie.
1: <laughs> where you get squirted in the face with blood. Yeah. Um, it was really funny when I was watching this uh, for the podcast. Uh, it was usually it was on Friday night, and that's usually when I do, or you know, we end up doing a movie night with the kids. And so I asked them, I was like, "Hey, we're gonna watch Sleepy Hollow. You want to do that?" And they were all about it. My son was he geeked out on it just like he did with Ghostface and Scream. But the funny thing was, is as he's watching all these people getting decapitated, he knew that they were actors. But he thought the actors were actually dead. <laughs> He's like, oh, the actors died. I'm like, oh, no, buddy. And I had to, like, show him what they do with the you know, special effects. And, and that was actually something that I've always wanted to do with him, to have him understand the movie-making process uh, for something like that. Yeah. Because it's like, that's, you know, just something that's going to be really cool for him. But just having him have that realization... And the understanding is, is what I was always wanting. So, but it was just hilarious because, like, I told him, oh, yeah, like, that's the actor, you know, from Harry Potter. And that's, you know, that, that's from Star Wars. And he's like, oh, oh, wow. Really? I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, cool. Well, now they're dead. How are they going to be in this? Like, <laughs> like that's so cute. No,
0: honey, that's not how it works, <laughs> that's but okay. so cute. Oh, he's so adorable sometimes. <laughs> Kids. Kids say the damnedest things. Oh, yeah, he does. He does. And this is... It is a horror movie. It is a proper horror movie. But it is a very kid-friendly horror movie. This is definitely one you could show, like, your eight or nine-year-old. And they'll be okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, this isn't, like... Whenever there's a, a, a decapitation kill, it's never along the lines of, like, a Kill Bill. Where it's just blood splattering everywhere. Yeah, and... it's,
0: it's minimal blood, and they're not lingering. Like, no. it's not voyeuristic. It's just sort of... They get in, and they get out.
1: And the one thing that... Like, cause I kind of thought about that. And I was like, "Well, I figured there'd be a lot more blood after the decapitation scenes," but they they kind of summed it up in one line where um, they found they find one of the bodies in the woods, uh, freshly decapitated, and Ichabod goes out to inspect it, and he's trying to be like, "Oh, it's okay. I'm here. I'm here." Like. Oh, yeah, he wants to be Mr. Big Rich's... And then he looks down at it and he realizes, like, he does his science uh, gizmos on it and uh, he puts a chemical on it and it has a reaction. He's like, oh, it's been cauterized. And so, right there, that means that
0: that was the workaround. Yeah, where's all the blood and gore? Because if you're cutting someone's head off, there should be fucking blood everywhere.
1: But they were saying it's like, oh, it's the because it the the blade from hell, or it's the yeah, fire. The, it's it's hotter than the fires of hell, or something yeah. like that. So, so it
0: immediately cauterized the the wound as it went through. Which I was like, man, you know what? It's a real hand wavy comment. You can easily throw it away. But it was one. It was perfect for what the story needed because anybody who watches any gore hounds are going to watch that and go where the fuck is all the blood
1: yeah
0: oh and it that's it well it was cauterized it was a hot as hell blade
1: and and that was and like for me and my continuity stuff or i mean like when i go back to watching you
0: want want to make it make sense
1: yeah like watching halloween 2 at the ending where you know Lori shoots him in the eye, both eyes, perfectly, and there's no exit wounds or there's no. Uh, it's just two little drips of blood. I'm like, come on, like there's got to be something more than that. Like, and then for this one, yes, it's supernatural, but it added in some type of reasoning. Yeah. They only mention it once, but it was enough for me to sit there and go, okay, well that's that's why that happened. So we're good.
0: Yeah, it's it's re- on. it's wrestling psychology 101. Yep. Give us a reason to have blood, give us a reason to not have blood. Yep. They don't so need a, it. It makes sense.
1: Don't need to go and Ric Flair this thing and dusty roads it all over the place. Nope,
0: definitely not. So but uh, I mean, even for the minimal gore, the effects were great. Kevin Yeager and team did an amazing job. They thought everything through. They had the really cool setup where think it was richard griffith's character in the woods when they go out and um the the horseman comes up and decapitates him and there's like a spin on the head as it comes off the body oh my god that's so good they designed the body rig to fall as a human body would if it was decapitated from a standing position where it would drop to its knees first and then kind of the hands would drop in front and then the body would finally just keel over.
1: Yeah, that was – and the editing on that was so good. Like yeah. they did a fantastic job. One other thing that I, I have to give uh, the, the you know, special effects team props on is the fact that the heads, whenever they had they did close-ups of the face, it looked exactly – like the actor. Yeah. You know, you know, mm-hmm. uh, back when we just did our Terminator episode, and they did the, uh, the scene where Arnold is, you know, cutting out his skin or, you know, taking out his eye and stuff, and you could definitely tell, okay, that's not Arnold doing his thing. These heads looked exactly like the actors. Which is
0: probably why the kids thought, or yeah. Owen thought that one of the actors were dead, because the faces... Looked correct.
1: There was um, the one scene with uh, uh, Killian. Uh, he was one of the, the farm hands. Uh, he had a wife who was the um, the like the midwife mm-hmm. of the town, and the horsemen broke into their their little, uh, their well broke into their house, and uh, Killian started fighting off the horsemen. And the horseman did his job, but then he ends up going after uh, his wife, and there's the scene is he's walking very menacingly and just super slow, but he's got the head of Killian in his hand, and just the the mouth's dropped open, the eyes are still it like just looks, you know, it just looks really creepy, but that was one of the scenes where. You know, or some was just like, "Oh well, like he's dead now. Like he can't act anymore. Like he's he's dead. Like that's him. Like that's yeah. That's no. the reason." And um, so they did a a really really good job, and that was probably one of my favorite little little things about the movie was just how realistic those prop heads were. So. Yeah,
0: for sure. So the I, I don't think either of us can say enough good things about the way the special effects and the world building looked. Um, Ichabod, I really got a kick out of, because he's trying to be, he's an investigator, he's a constable, he's, he's a cop, but he's trying so hard to be the authority figure, he's not. Um, he tries so hard to want to be the smarty pants know-it-all, and he wants to be like the big man on campus, but... He's squeamish, he's afraid of blood, and he's a bit effeminate, and he, there's just a lot of things that turn his stomach, he just doesn't have the stomach for his job, essentially. Well, because in New York, he didn't, wasn't able to do the stuff that he wanted to do, he was kind of shackled, and then when um, the burgomaster Ma- sent him upstate and told him, alright, well, you know, you want to play Mr. Scientist? You have a new assignment and send him up there. And he finally gets to use all of that equipment he invented. And he finally is getting the opportunities to do autopsies. Yeah, They wouldn't let him do autopsies. He has to
1: prove himself on that. Because uh, the um, the high constable, uh, they bring a man into jail. And, like, basically the jail is a dungeon. Like, it's just a... They throw people down holes and just leave them there until whenever. But they... (laughs) I guess some, like one guy like ended up, they brought him in for stealing something, and then they mm-hmm. just threw him down the hole. And Ichabod's like, aren't you going to try him? Like, you guys are just saying that he did it. You have no idea if it was actually him. And the High cosmos is just getting so pissed off with him.
0: Yeah, he felt he like was a waste of time. But
1: he's like, well, how could you convict somebody if you don't detect? Like, you have to figure out what happened before you just...
0: And at this Yo, point, bring 1799, we already had our constitution in place with the amendment that says everyone has a right to a fair trial. So way to go against the constitution, guys.
1: Yeah. But I mean, you also think too, is that when stuff like that is brought up, people are already set in their ways. Oh, yeah, yeah. and And so it's like trying to bring that out. And Ichabod was doing that. Um, he was the
0: new guard trying to break through to the old and it wasn't working very well. So he finally has his chance to prove himself, and he's just—he's a weak stomached weenie. Uh,
1: I, well, that was the funny thing was I didn't see him as the weak stomach. I think it took him a little bit to get going, but then once he was in it, he was okay.
0: There's a horseman. He's headless. Yes, Eggbot. We well, would tell you that? Of
1: course, it would freak him out because <laughs> he doesn't believe it the whole time. The one thing where I, I found like where he was like a complete weenie is the spider. So, yeah. so when they're they're in the room and also <laughs> the spider comes he's like ah! and he like freaks out and runs up the wall and the like the little kid that's uh you know tagging along with him now he's just like it's a spider we don't like spiders <laughs> just get it kill it just get rid of it like get it, he's just like freaking out and, just, and then they move the bed and then they find like the big uh you know um uh, symbol on, under his bed and stuff like that and that kind of Moves the story along, but that scene of just oh look at this spider—it's like really, dude. Like you just cut up a woman, like you t- you did an autopsy on a woman, and, a pregnant yeah. woman, yeah. And so <laughs> you're seeing all this stuff go on, and the spider's the thing that that freaks you out. Yeah. Now going back to the the cartoon for you know from Ichabod and uh, Mr. Toad, uh, I love that they. They didn't get rid of the whole, like, squeamish and kind of scaredy cat. Um, because Ichabod, from the cartoon, he was a school teacher. And it, I don't know how. I don't know why they did this. He looked goofy as shit. Well,
0: in the book, he was he was goofy looking. No. He was not handsome at No, all.
1: I know. But, I mean, but still, it's like, but he was a woman's man. Like, he was... All, all that and then some. I don't know how. It's like, he looked like he looked like a crane. Like that's the yeah. way they, they drew him out. But, you know, yeah, big nose, long legs, real scrawny. Yeah. yeah, and that's where like Brom was just like, dude, how am I losing to this fucking guy? And technically, the Katrina in the cartoon, I think she was just playing him because she was just a, a a gold digger. You know, she was just gonna.
0: Well, she probably should have gone after school teacher. That was dumb.
1: No, she was going to go after anybody that was just giving her the time of day that was going to... In this
0: know. one, she was... Because, you know, in the book she was based... Or based. She was engaged to Brom. Yeah. Casper... Um, all right, so Casper Van Deen is a very handsome man. <laughs> we'll just start there. He was... And even in Starship Troopers, when he was playing, you know, the goofy space soldier. Um, he was a handsome man. But in this movie, he's handsome and utterly useless. Yep. ha <sighs> That was that was the most disappointing and frustrating part for me because he just felt like he was there to be eye candy because he and to potentially be sort of a a forced rival for Ichabod in this, but he, he wasn't didn't, needed. He didn't have anything really going for him. He... All he did was sort of look shitty because he he played the flaming pumpkin prank jealous. on him. Yeah. He was super jealous. I mean, it was fucking Johnny Depp in his 30s. Like, yeah. yeah, I get it. But the... He ended up just being killed in the end. And well, there was no real redeeming redemption for him at all.
1: I, I didn't like the Braun character in this movie because of that. Because in the... the again, going back to the cartoon, because that's the only real, like, secure thing that I have, is...
0: Well, it's a good basis for comparison, in terms of, like, visual.
1: So, Ichabod saw Lady Katrina, and was head over heels for her, and he was gonna try and woo her to no end, and Brom also Mm -hmm. was gonna do the same thing, and he was losing Mm -hmm. to the stork. And it turned around where he wanted to – like he, he noticed that Ichabod was easily scared. And so in the the beer hall or whatever that they were having, like their big uh, Halloween party, Ichabod is just sitting there eating food left and right and having a good old time. And then Bron comes up with the song of the Headless Horseman, which is so damn good. Um, but it freaks him out, and then Ichabod is going home through the woods – And it turns out where Braum is the one that, you know, throws the pumpkin at him and freaks him out and and finishes the job. But then it turns out that the horseman comes back. They do the same thing. However, in this story, Ichabod doesn't give two shits about Katrina.
0: No, Katrina comes on to him. And he... Because he has a job to do. And the way he's written in this version of the story... He's very focused. He has a chip a little bit of a chip on his shoulder
1: because he's been treated so poorly. And and I'm gonna at his job. I'm gonna correct myself. It's not he didn't give two shits about her when he first met when because she pulled like they were having the party of the and they were they're playing the game like oh where's the witch or like the witch is gonna get you and she's blindfolded mm-hmm. and then she grabs Ichabod and then ends up giving him a kiss and then lifts her eyes and she's. They just kind of have this moment of like, oh wow. Like that's it. But then that kind of stops because Ichabod goes back into work mode. And
0: Yeah, he's very singularly focused yeah. and he... he's very rational and he's very logical and he doesn't deal well with emotion because emotions aren't logical. Yeah.
1: And and that was the thing, it's like it took it took time over the movie. For that relationship to happen, which I did enjoy,
0: I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah.
1: But that was the thing was he, not really a
0: love at first. It wasn't
1: like the cartoon where it was just like, "Ooh, pretty girl, I need to go woo her." And then this one, he was just like, "Nope, I'm, like, oh, you are very pretty. I need. I got a job. I got to stuff do. to yeah. do. Yeah. So, and you come get me, <laughs> type of thing. I mean, she did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Ichabod is staying in her house, what? so it's you know, they're gonna run into each other every now and then. Yeah, he was a
0: guest of the Van Tassels.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I really liked how they played with the witchcraft in this, too. I thought that was a nice touch. I don't recall... Nope. ...that being a part of the Ichabod and Mr. Toad story or if it was a part of the the actual Washington Irving story or not. But I really liked the, the way they played with the witchcraft between kind of treating Katrina as sort of a little white witch in training and then having Lady Van Tassel, who's later revealed as our big bad, um, she's the witch pulling the strings behind the scenes and she's the one in control of the horseman. And she's got his skull and um, she's got a vendetta against the rich landowner families because they put her and her family out on their asses. And the, the way they would kind of play with blood magic and Putting that up against a man, Ichabod, who doesn't believe in it because everything has a rational explanation and there's always got to be proof of whatever he's looking at. There has to be some irrefutable proof as to whether or not something is real. And the whole, just the fact that he saw the Headless Horseman exist and that flips his entire world upside down has to be both terrifying and liberating because he was trying to fit in this little box and everything fits in the boxes, right? Because it has to have logic and reason and having this big reveal that there is more than what we can see in front of us in terms of magic or religion or whatever you want to call it. um, That has to be super liberating because that opens up so many doors as to like, well, well, God, this could be fucking anything now.
1: Yeah, and and that was something like where, in this day and age, where you have Christians or you know people that that have a strong religious belief compared to agnostics or, or atheists, and a lot of times those atheists they try to put the science to it, and then mm-hmm. it disproves whatever is happening. And They're like, oh well, that's that's not the case. That's kind of how I saw Ichabod, but he never seemed that he was demolishing. That that thought it was just, well, we have to fig. let me do some science to make sure that it's not that because there could be some times where uh, like when they were having like the big meeting at, at the beginning with uh, Ben Tassel and the doctor, uh, the priest, I mean, everyone, everyone in the room, he was going on about it. And they mentioned to him about uh, it being the headless horseman. And he's just kind of like, come on, guys, it's it's a ghost story. Yeah. It, there, there's always a murderer that could be playing up to that ghost story, making the entire town think that yeah. it's that.
0: No, it was because so, Lady Van Tassel was using her necromancer powers
1: <laughs> yeah. to bring
0: him back from the dead. Like, he was literally a headless man. And I don't know. That was probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie where he's just laying there in bed with the... Blanky tucked up over up to his chin and he's like oh my god he's real, yeah. he's a real you don't understand there's a I real headless him. man i saw him he's and, real and uh mr van tassel was just sort of like yeah i know we've been telling you this <laughs> no you don't understand there's a real headless horseman out there
1: and then he passes out
0: <laughs> yeah johnny depp the ultimate fainter
1: oh, it was so good but yeah i mean let i i enjoyed that portion of it just uh, at least for this, the new adaptation of the story, because it gave a little bit extra to that.
0: And it modernized it a little bit, too, yeah. even though it was still set in the same time frame. Um, it made it... It felt a little more updated for the 90s, for the time frame it came out. And um, that was needed. I don't think we needed to have a complete and total rehash of the story verbatim from the book or ichabod and
1: mr toad no and stuff like that sometimes gets uh
0: it's pointless yeah i mean
1: it's like okay well we've already got that i mean all you're i mean you're giving us a visual of it so i mean cool that that's great but um sometimes like a, a nice fresh take on the story is exactly what's needed and the witches i mean if you took out the headless horseman thing and just left in the witch portion of it this would still be a fun-ass movie. Like, that was a really cool little twist to it. Um, I really love that they did go into the background for The Horseman, uh, just stating that, I mean, he was just your flat-out, badass warrior. He was a soldier and a mercenary or
0: something like that. Yeah, he was a
1: mercenary, but he never wanted to take the money. He just loved the carnage, yeah, and that was something where it's like, I just want blood. That's my payment. Give me blood. I want to kill something. I want to kill people. Put me in wars, and I'll do work. And I think it was the it was the redcoats, right? Is that was after him? Um, in the scene, it was some. It was a it was a military. Uh, that the military was, was
0: after yeah. him. Yeah.
1: So he was on the run, and he was running through the woods, and um, I believe he was on his horse, and his horse got shot. And so he had to, you know, go uh, scurrying through trying to get away from him. And he turns around and there's these two twin girls standing there. One of them's got a stick in her hand. And he just, he, he, shh. And all of a sudden she breaks the stick and I'm like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> like, what a dick move. Yeah. Um, but that was something where when they explained – the horseman and his backstory, they also mentioned that because he loved the carnage and he loved just all just everything that went into it, he even sharpened his teeth to make him look even scarier. Yeah, he
0: had the big pointy teeth.
1: I was like, that is that is insanely cool. Like that I mean just that shark mouth. It but so the little girl snapped a stick and then the military found him, killed him, cut off his head, and then buried him. And then that's where we get the whole, uh, just that the startup lore, but the twin girls, like that story comes towards the end of the movie, yeah, which I enjoyed. Was,
0: I like that there was a reasoning for the behavior, but they do the thing that drives me crazy, where you get the huge villain, in the huge Info villain exposition dump at the end of the movie where... Katrina just looks at her stepmother, and goes, "Why are you doing this?" And it, she launches into this monologue about where she came from, why <laughs> she's doing it, how she became a Van Tassel.
1: You slide dog, you got me monologuing
0: exactly. <laughs> and her whole plan on how she's been controlling the Horseman, and now she's going to call the Horseman to kill her and. It always, in every movie they do it in, feels like padding for time. And there's other ways you can go about giving the story and doing the reveal without having to do the reveal and then all of the backlog trying to jam an hour's worth of potential storytelling into three minutes.
1: That was something that I kind of feel if they could have summed up Like, shortened that up, but then extended it out with Ichabod a little bit earlier in the movie. Because he was sitting there trying to detect everything. And he was going through, like, the books. And he was seeing the family trees. And so uh, Katrina mentions, like, oh, like, well, there's not... You know, everyone's going to be related to somebody in this town. Because it's a small town and it's very old. It's blood or
0: marriage, yeah. But
1: then it's, like, with the two twin girls, you don't know who they are.
0: Well, instead of getting the random uselessness of finding of learning about Ichabod's mom we don't there was nothing there was no reason for that part of the story it didn't lead us anywhere
1: yeah I mean it was it was cool visual but I mean it just made um, them it explained it explain why he didn't, like, he lost his religion and he went towards science. But you could have definitely cut some of that out and then... You
0: didn't have to do it. You could have just left it that he's a man of science and been, like, you don't need... Yeah. My mommy was murdered. Like, you don't need that part of the whole thing. When instead, what you could have done is you could have had little breadcrumbs dropped of flashbacks or more Headless Horseman story with Lady Van Tassel, or something like you could have seen some work behind the scenes. Like, there's a million other ways you could have gone well, about doing this instead of having the giant fucking well, no, but Bond villain monologue.
1: My, my thing that I, I felt would have been, uh, I mean, just adding in a couple more scenes is Ichabod going through the town's um, like registry and seeing all the families that used to be there because he was so invested in the Van Tassels. Uh, just because like he opened a book and you could see this family tree on there and he was like okay well you're these are all connected type of thing but they ended up going through the woods and they came across this old uh just run down building and there was an archer on on the side so that means that somebody used to live there it would have been cool if ichabod was going through and found the archer family realize that oh well the vent you know Help get rid of them because of the, the or
0: something, so yeah, anything. Like I hate, I hate that so much, and it for me it grinds the movie to a halt because now we have to push pause on everything that's going around, and all it was was a stall because Ichabod is not very good at his job. He kept fingering everybody and was just like. No, I'm I'm 100% positive that that's the one that did it. And, no, 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 wait, 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 just kidding. The other guy, that's the one. He for sure did it. Oh, no, not him, he's dead. Okay, well, look, it was Katrina. For sure, for sure this time. Yeah, definitely her. Like, he was not great in his job. Um, but he finds out at the last minute that um, the beheaded woman that was... Being taken away was not Lady Van Tassel. She, in fact, was not killed by the headless horseman, as her husband
1: yeah, declared.
0: Was... Um, it was a servant girl with her head cut off, yeah.
1: and that that was the that was a cool little way to kind of lead into but the the her, exposition type thing.
0: But yeah, but her monologue was really just the stalling, so that jo- so that Ichabod, not Johnny Depp, Ichabod, could get to Katrina in time. I
1: I think that it was. If they shortened it a little bit, because she went through and explained everything in the movie.
0: The whole, it's, yeah, her the, entire backstory.
1: Everything in the movie. And it was just the whole thing of, uh, you know, killing the servant girl and then having sex with the priest and then the doctor, uh, you know, getting busy with the servant girl that she just killed and then uh, the. The red, the uh, the guy it got real twisty. Yeah, Michael Goff's character, I, he was like the registry, he was um, notary. the notary. Um, same thing, like he he was gonna get got because of you know change, uh, updating the wills and all that stuff, and it was just like so everyone that was involved, at least like the the five, the five or six, you know, almost like head of the town. Yeah,
0: the core men.
1: Yeah, the core. They they were all getting got because they all were in entwined with some type of thing that was going to be against her getting all the riches Mm -hmm. you know being entitled to everything once she got you know got rid of everybody so
0: yeah i just um it got real twisty and a little convoluted there when she was giving her exposition on why why she was doing things that she did and was talking about how everyone was intertwined, and we really didn't need that part. We already had Katrina Van Tassel say that everybody is connected to each other either through blood or marriage, and we also got a lot of... We got a few details here and there about how, you know, it's like nosy neighbor, small town, everyone knows what everybody else is doing at all times. So, like, we already know that stuff. We don't need to be told again.
1: Yeah. And the, the one other... Like, so they added in all that, but then... On top of it, she also explains that she was one of the the little blonde twins that ran into the headless horseman, and
0: her sister was the witch. From yeah,
1: the her of the movie. sister was like your uber witch, like the the one that you would see in any type of you know horror movie. She was a poster child. She for, could have been the gypsy. A she could have yeah. been
0: the gypsy fortune teller.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So she was just living in this like hole in the rock, not even a wall. It's just a on the side of this little area and she
0: had the veil over her head and she was kind of kind of kooky because when asking if she knew the Headless Horseman she just did the throat cutting gesture and made a noise and then started to giggle and young Nasbeth was like alright she's nuts yeah (laughs)
1: but and then it's like Lady Ventassel she was again the sister and she ended up cutting her head off and it was just the whole thing. Yeah, there there was a lot going on with that very James Bond villainess. It
0: was a revenge story for her. Yeah. It was a revenge story that went kind of went off the rails a little bit.
1: It, it it did, but at the same time, I enjoyed the story leading up to that.
0: Yeah, I mean, but once we finally get past that stupid part, we get back into the climax and when Ichabod finally does show up to free her and then they have the, the tussle outside where, um, Ichabod's trying to wrestle the headless horseman's skull away from Lady Van Tassel. Um, that was kind of fun because it was like a dork slap fight.
1: Pretty much. (laughs) I mean, he's just like, wow, like he's, he ain't gonna, he got no upper arm strength on that at all. Yeah, it
0: was, (laughs) it was really funny. He was getting his ass kicked. Yeah. Um, and, when the headless horseman finally does get his skull back, though, that transformation scene is really, really cool. It looks super painful.
1: It, it looked really cool, but uh, there was there was one little CGI moment that I was like, "Man, you didn't need that at all." Like it, it kind of it reminded me of um, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure,
0: another Tim Burton movie. The,
1: the well the um, the semi driver Mad Mags. Mm. Uh, you, I, I believe that's I believe that's her name if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. I, but no, like I he gets scared, like, he I'm gets guessing. in the semi truck and she's telling the story about how uh you know, there was a semi that you know crashed and stuff like that and then like she ends up being like it was me and then like they did this big like goofy scary claymation mm-hmm. face thing. Um, there's a part like that where it's because his like tongue came out and his eyes bulged and it was like. Okay, a little goofy, but everything else, yeah, leading up to that, where uh, all the flesh and er all the tendons and everything are going back in. I was like, that was really cool. Um, Our son, I was kind of worried because I knew what was coming up, but I didn't want him to be too scared. It was when the witch in the woods um, was getting Ichabod. uh, She was kind of doing like a little fortune-telling thing. She shackles herself up. And she's got the veil over and she reaches out for him, make sure that she can't get to him. And then she cuts the head off bad. She's doing a whole potion. She like sniffs the all the you know, sniffs, everything that she just made. And then all of a sudden, like the veil pops up and it's just this, this like dead zombie face. But the eyes like shoot out like in this like cartoonest thing. And I, at her, and I looked at my boy and I was like, I was like, dude, you OK? He's like, that was hilarious. Why did you think that was scary? Like, I was like, it was the jump scare. he's like, but her eyes, it looked all googly. <laughs> our, our son's seven, so it's he like... He
0: gets it. Yeah. It's
1: like, oh, okay, you're good. Like, we're fine. Yeah, like, but that
0: also shows that it's kind of a problem. Like, if it didn't get a spook out of a seven-year-old and he thought it was funny, uh,
1: it was probably it, like, a bad choice. It was the eyes. The scene after when she starts talking about the horseman and everything and like that looked really good because she had the hollowed out eyes and everything else and it didn't look natural Looked like she was taken over by a demon sure but still it was just like why did you have to do the eye thing and same thing with the horseman why did you have to do the eye and the tongue thing it's like the, the horseman doesn't have a gene simmons tongue like it's just like why why (laughs) so I don't know everything everything else was cool but just some of those little things just eh, didn't really work out I mean
0: in general though the CGI holds up okay all things considered it could look there are a lot of worse looking movies from the exact same time frame agreed and even later and even much later than 1999 so there's yeah there's going to be a couple of hiccups but I think it has more to do with the fact that it's just not aging well I think at the time the movie came out they were fine yeah, but yeah, that looked incredibly painful. And Lady Van Tassel gets her comeuppance and becomes the bride of the Headless Horseman.
1: That was As really he, really cool.
0: He bites off her tongue and carries her away to hell.
1: Yeah, well, that like after he gets his the you know when he comes back to normal and he gets on his horse and he walks over, she <laughs> she like looks up at him. and He just kind of like uh, oh, hey, what's up. So, uh, you gonna get got right now.
0: So, um, you like big gulps, huh?
1: (laughs) Pretty much. And she's like, oh, shit, I'm fucked.
0: Well, and then she passes out, and he drags her up on his horse and takes off with her, and she kind of comes to in his arms and is, like, freaking out, and he bends down to kiss her while still trying to maintain, I'm impressed, he maintained control of his horse somehow, and um, bit off her tongue.
1: So. Yeah, that was that was very very satisfying. And then they
0: disappear back into the the doorway to hell in that gnarly old tree. I was
1: I was trying to explain to our son the I guess the lore of what the horseman was kind of about. Um, I've heard stories where it's the horseman lost his head and so he comes back uh, during a certain time of the year to search for a new head, and that's why he's he's going after all this. So. I don't know if that... Again, I have to go back and read the book again to see if that is the kind of the point of it. Um, but well, instead, go-
0: he's being used as a trained dog.
1: In yeah. Movie. Well, that was the thing is in the cartoon... Uh, again, there's no other point other than to just scare Ichabod. Like, it's just... He's after Ichabod's head, and that's really it. Look really creepy. End of story. Um, Ichabod, at the end of the cartoon... He gets so freaked out that he leaves Sleepy Hollow and he goes and starts a new life in a different area. So, I mean, uh, in this story where, yeah, the, the horseman is is just being used as a tool was an interesting, you know, real take on the character. But it it worked when you add in the witches and everything else and, yeah. you know, going off with the supernatural stuff. Um, so I thought that was cool. And just him being, like, the badass mercenary. Uh, I mean, uh, was there a, a kill of the horsemen that you really liked?
0: Um, I think it was Richard Griffith's character in the woods, because he's a very large man, and he was trying to run away.
1: So just dumpy Yeah, he
0: was, like, Humpty Dumpty trying to climb up the hill, and... <laughs> He gets his head cut off, and just the way that the body goes down onto the ground, like it was... Everyone died the same way, so it's...
1: There were some variations, but again, that's his, that's his M.O. his yeah, thing. I'm going to cut cutting your, head your head off. off. Yeah.
0: Um, probably the scene with... what's was his name? Killian, and his wife, and his son. I think that's who that was. Yeah. And the horseman bursts in and the wife puts the son under the floorboards to hide and the horseman almost gets the boy no does he get the boy yeah he did get the boy yeah
1: they don't they just don't show it
0: but yeah he ended up killing the whole family um and you see him skewer mom's head on the end of his sword
1: do, you, do you, i don't know if you noticed in that scene it kind of made it like once you got to the end of the movie looking back at that scene it really sets it up for an even more of a chilling kind of um uh, like moment so before the horseman shows up uh the son is in his room and he's playing with a light toy do you remember what was shown in the lights as they were spinning around
0: were there horses no no i don't remember
1: it was witches
0: Ah oh, it was witches
1: It was witches in the room So the room was all dark They had a candle And it was like This like little spinning top And they, they had like These little uh, Cutouts mm. Where the light Had shone through And so it almost Made like a weird Kind of like disco ball Kind of thing But yeah It's just witches Flying around the room mm. So when the horseman Shows up Kills Killian And then goes for the mom The mom is in the corner Of the room The thing is still spinning And you can see witches Going past her Mm. And then the horseman ends up taking her out.
0: That's the ambiance.
1: I thought that was a really cool little touch. It was a nice touch. Um, but that scene where the boy's looking straight up and all of a sudden the mom's head rolls and you can see the eyes going through the crack of the floor. That was nutty nuts. Love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just him, the horseman going back for the boy. And then you could see him putting him in the bag. And I'm like... That's cold. Yeah, but I'm like, well, what are you gonna
0: do with
1: him? <laughs> yeah, um, I gotta say that my favorite kill really had to be Braun um, because well,
0: Braun had a chance to fight back at least a little.
1: Yeah, I was like, that was that was cool that he did have that you know that little bit of an edge, but at the same time, he's already dead. There ain't nothing you gonna do to him. Um, there was like so. Like,
0: like when the windmill collapses and Katrina's like, Oh, thank God he's got, thank God he's dead. Nicobod says, What's the problem?
1: He's already dead. He's already dead. He ain't doing shit to him. Um, but there was a thing with so Ichabod or I, I believe the horseman went and killed I forget who he ended up killing, but he was leaving. He was done. His job is all said. And then uh Brahm tries to attack him. And Ichabod tries to say like oh, like no he's not after you, like you're fine like yeah. you have nothing to worry about don't don't um, go for it. But Brom
0: didn't listen.
1: Yeah, and so Brahm tries to fight him, and there's you know a lot of you know cool little fight scene, and then Ichabod comes in with like a long little uh, like just uh, garden tool or like a farming tool, and then shoves it like right into the <laughs> to the the horseman's back, and the horse was like what the fuck man like. And he can't reach behind him to to pull it out, which is really hilarious. But the scene, it's, and they're like, they're like size, or I believe is what it is. So he, um, so yeah, he's got like the, it's the, I believe they're just size. And the horseman's fighting, fighting, fighting. And then all of a sudden, he ends up just getting him right in the middle and splitting him right in two, like on yeah. the, uh, on the, the, the covered bridge.
0: That was sad. Yeah. Like, it just is so... It just sucks, because, yeah. like I mentioned before, Brom's presence was completely unnecessary in the movie.
1: But the thing that, that sold it for me is the flair that the horseman gives after a kill. Cause oh, like, yeah. like he, like, you know... Uh, flip, There's a follow-through. Yeah, he flips his sword, or he flips, like, whatever weapon he is, and he's like, cool, job done. And he just goes walking off. But yeah, that just having him split brawn in half on the iconic covered bridge.
0: Yeah, he just puts a little sizzle on the It's really
1: cool. So I like that, that I've had to say is probably my favorite. So That one was a
0: good one. Yeah. That one, ugh, just wasted potential with that character, but
1: whatever. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else you want to say, or are you ready to get into the skull ratings here?
0: No. I, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I wanted to mention, but I really don't think so. Um, I think we can definitely cut the skull rating now. Because everything okay. I, I've, I've kind of mentioned already with the way the movie just looks, it's just a beautiful movie to look at. Oh yeah. Um, P- piece of art. Yeah. So what's your skull rating on this guy?
1: Um, I ended up giving this one a four. Yeah. Yeah, this one's a yeah. solid four. Um, there's a couple of things like as we mentioned with the info dump um, with Lady Ventus I didn't, I liked it but it's just a lot. And yeah, you're yeah, like, okay, like, like, did you do anything else to check the boxes and off? And then
0: I went and picked up cheese and bread at the grocery store. And then and I then, got my tires rotated. Yeah,
1: and then I went and pooped in the neighbor's yard. And then blamed the dog. It's like, <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> Settle down, ma'am.
1: Yeah. So that... There's a lot going on with her, but I enjoyed it for the wrap up of the story of everything that we got into it with all the town. Yeah, there was there's only
0: a few. I think this movie only had a couple of hiccups in it. It really wasn't anything too too bad.
1: No, the visuals, as we mentioned, super stellar. Cast, amazing. Um, So yeah, I mean, and again, I'm a super. I'm a big fan of the Headless Horseman. Again. Always a fun watch for me. For sure. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I'm, I give this one a three and a half. Okay. So um, I'm not too far behind you. Um, I already mentioned a couple of things that bothered me. Uh, this one I think I, I, I'd like to rewatch again soon because I feel like there's some things that I missed. Like maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention when I was watching it for the podcast. I definitely remember seeing it probably a year or two after it came out for the first time. I really enjoyed it, and Johnny Depp and Christina Ricci have really good chemistry together, even though the age difference is a little weird, Um, but it's acting, I guess. The the kid, young Nesbeth, I think his name Mm -hmm. was, I really liked him. I found him to be quite charming. He was a little bit of the straight man for Ichabod, because Ichabod was so, like, flaily. (laughs) <laughs> Throughout most of the movie. And well, it,
1: it wasn't silly. Like, I mean, because Johnny Depp can get flaily good. He can get
0: really silly. Yeah. Um,
1: but he, he held it in for from time to time. No,
0: he did fine. He didn't go over... It wasn't over the top by any stretch, but you, young Nesbeth was a good sort of straight man to play off of. Yep. And he was 12. Um, yeah, I think all the pieces overall worked really, really well together. This is definitely one of Burton's better movies. Um, we know there's a few, for the most part, he's pretty consistently good. But there are a few stingers in there.
1: Um. I mean, not every director is going to be. No, 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 no. I mean. Balls the wall. Look, for every Edward yeah.
0: Scissorhands, there's always going to be one or two Planet of the Apes.
1: Yep. So. you mm-hmm. We just
0: need to come to terms with that, um, being a <laughs> At thing. At least he tried. He did try. It was a bad try, but he tried. <laughs> so yeah three and a half for Sleepy Hollow I really would like to watch this one again soon and maybe with a little bit of a closer eye than when I gave it because I was still having to fold laundry and do stuff while I watched the movie so it was a couple of minor distractions but overall this was this was a good one this was a fun Mm -hmm. one and I think this is a great way to end the season
1: yeah I agree as well this
0: is our last movie for season two
1: Season two is
0: over already. Holy shit, <laughs> that—that's amazing. I just—I can't believe we've been doing this for two years already. Um, yeah. We have a bonus episode coming out in a couple of days, basically doing our year-end yeah. wrap-up, just sort—just of, like we did last year.
1: Yep. Yeah. And if you guys are new to the show, and uh, again. Thank you, you guys, for all listening to all this far. But yeah, it's like we're gonna do the year and wrap up where we go through the good and the bad of everything in season two, and it's a lot of fun for us to uh, revisit a lot of these films. So
0: oh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Um, season
1: one was a lot of fun because it was. Like, there was a lot that we went through, but
0: yeah, yeah, and we had taken hiatus this year, so we were short, shorting ourselves a f- couple of months. Um, of, of films, which. But we now still that, had a lot to go There off. was still so much. <laughs> but we have a pretty good schedule coming up for season three. Hopefully, y'all will enjoy what we've got coming down the pike for that. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, join us on social media Facebook, Instagram, and Slasher at Creeping It Real. If you'd like to sponsor an episode, or if you have a movie idea, or if you just want to hang out and chat with Lunchbox, you can email us at creepin'itreal.cm at gmail.com. Um, and if you like merch, because everybody likes merch, you can go to creepititreal.redbubble.com or click the link in the Instagram profile. You can get one-of-a-kind unique designs done by Mr. Lunchbox printed on everything from t-shirts to school supplies to Mouse home goods.
1: Pads. They even have shower curtains. You yeah. can get my artwork on a shower curtain if you wanted.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. And <laughs> socks cell phone cases cute socks
1: it's endless
0: it's yeah it's good stuff and it's good quality too i highly recommend it's good crack right so i guess with that we're done with sleepy hollow
1: Mm -hmm. we can
0: um move on to our wrap up in a couple of days so we hope you join us for that but in the meantime i have been meg
1: i have been lunchbox and i'm
0: gonna go get my Rip van
1: winking Uh